Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. I sound like a broken record at this point, but my number one piece of advice to everyone I talk to is to invest in your email list. You own it, you control it, and it's where the money is made. Sparkloop is a new tool that helps you grow your email list by incentivizing your subscribers to share with others. Every business should have a newsletter, and every newsletter should have a referral program. Sparkloop is great because it literally takes five minutes to get set up, and then it's basically set and forget to watch your email list grow quicker. Check them out at sparkloop.app slash EIM. You can find the link in the show notes and get started today. On the show today is Taylor Lindsay Noel. Taylor is the owner of Cup of Tay, host of the Tea Time with Tay podcast, and believe it or not, after listening to our conversation, is just getting started with her entrepreneurial journey. I wanted to bring her on because in the summer of 2008, I was a tall and gumpy 13-year-old kid who just liked playing video games. Taylor, on the other hand, was a 14-year-old elite gymnast on track to represent Canada at the 2012 Olympic Games. But on July 15th of 2008, she had a really tragic accident on the gym floor that actually broke her neck and would leave her with full to partial paralysis in all four of her limbs. Um, But despite this, she's now a successful owner and operator of an e-commerce business that was just featured in Oprah's Favorite Things. That's right, Oprah's Favorite Things, a listing and stamp of approval only awarded to a few select brands every year. So you'll hear about how Taylor used writing and poetry to sort through thoughts and also learn to be a better communicator, how her podcast led to starting her e-commerce company, and of course, how she managed to get featured in Oprah's favorite things. All right. So I like to begin by asking my question, sort of a silly question, um, or sorry, I'd like to begin uh, by asking my guests sort of a silly question, but do you ever think that you'd be selling tea online for a living? Absolutely not. It's still (laughs) something I wake up every day and I'm like, how did I, how do I own a tea company? Like it just seems like the most bizarre thing, but it, hey, it's where I ended up and it's been a pretty fun journey so far. So I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you could, could you just walk us through your story a bit and how you got to where you are today? Yes, for sure. So I used to be a national gymnast. Um, I would travel and compete for Canada, and I was a really big Olympic hopeful for the 2012 Olympics. Unfortunately, when I was 14, I went to a regular day of training, and my coach approached me to do something I never heard of, and I put up a fight. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to do it. Something in my soul just felt like it wasn't right. I'd never seen it, never heard of it. And that's very rare in the sport because I'd been a gymnast for over 10 years. And I expressed my concerns, which is not something you typically do as an athlete. You're kind of just told to go along with the flow. Um, We fought. He reassured me, told me people do it all the time. And I was letting my fear cloud my judgment. And unfortunately, the second time I tried it, I landed headfirst and broke my neck and severed my spinal cord, which instantly paralyzed me. So that was kind of the beginning of the journey. Wow. Um, do I keep going for the timeline? Yeah, yeah, please do yeah, if you can. And yeah. So from there, I actually had to go to 19 months of physical rehabilitation um, at Bloorview Kids Rehab. And that was really difficult because I went from being a super athlete to not being able to brush my hair, not be able to brush my teeth, not be able to walk. 
Um, and so it was a really long process of just kind of getting used to my new body. And from there, I transitioned back to high school. I uh, had a really great teacher who thought that I had a, a good speaking voice, thought that I would be good in media and fell, and I fell in love with it. So I went to university for radio and television arts. And while I was in university, excuse me, while I was in university, I decided to do a podcast. That podcast was called Tea Time with Tay. And you know the podcast world, of course. And I would always drink a cup of tea um, and interview my guests. When my audience started to grow, I reached out to the biggest tea company we have here in Canada. And I never heard back. And being a little bit stubborn, I was like, you know what? If they're not going to reach out, I'm going to do something about it. And I wanted to create one tea. One tea turned into a whole company. And now I am the founder and owner of Cup of Tea Luxury Loosely Teas. And that is my job now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I love it. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for for telling your story and um, and walking me through that. It's It's part of my goal for the podcast to not just focus on, you know, uh, the highs, but also the lows to not just focus on the yeah. stories, but also who's behind the stories. And so really, you know, helps people grasp, um, who you are as a person and what you've gone through and, and what your story is. And before we get to, uh, cup of tea and, and really sort of getting to the marketing side of things, we can nerd out about all things marketing. Um, I'd love to hone in on a couple of parts of your story. And if I can just ask a few more yeah. questions on that. So, um, while you're in high school, I'd read that, uh, you'd sort of taken to writing and to poetry. Um, yeah, did that help like, you like process things or how'd you kind of fall into that? Uh, you know what? That's, you did your research. I did. I, uh, when I was in grade, I think I was grade 10 or 11. I took a creative writing course cause I just didn't really know what to pick. And I fell in love with writing. I just thought it was so fun to make up stories, to make up poems. And my teacher was so enthusiastic and, um, I realized that I was, I was able to find a medium where I could express myself and have it be private. Everything about my life is so public in the sense that at the time, my story was very public. It was like the front page of our newspaper here in my city. Um, there was constantly people just like around me. I have nurses, I have my mom, my friends, and it was my outlet that I could keep for myself. And I always say that writing kind of saved me from me. And uh yeah, poetry and writing has been imperative to my mental health and to getting me out of a really, really, really dark place. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a valuable skill just being able to yeah. um, process your thoughts. A lot of people will say, you know, um, writing is thinking and it really helps you uh, verbalize without actually kind of talking to yourself, right? But you can sort of talk to yourself through the paper or through the computer, through the keyboard, whatever sort of mechanism it is that uh, that you want to do that. But um, do you think that sort of that experience writing, you know, influences the way that you think and do things today? Or is it something that uh, sort of just helped you through that time? No, it's very much so still a major facet of my life. Um, like I said, even to this day, right, I always have people around me all the time. I have, you saw the kerfuffle of things that were going on before this recording. <laughs> um, so alone time, it's very, very valuable for me. And that usually comes at night. I'm a huge night owl. So I will write from like 12 to two, almost every single night, just getting out my thoughts. And beyond that, I think it's helps me with the craft of storytelling in one of my other jobs, being a motivational speaker, when uh, Corona isn't here, um, 
I'm able to tell and tell stories. And I think it's really gotten me in certain spaces. And uh, it's something I hope to continue to do more. This obviously in the last few months, the exposure with the whole Oprah, like favorite things list has lent me to find a lot of speaking opportunities and mm. a lot of writing opportunities as well. So yeah, I hope to continue to write and speak on a bigger platform. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to get to um, to the speaking, to uh, to the podcasting, to Oprah as well. But one thing, so to touch on the sort of storytelling and crafting narratives thing for a bit, you mentioned that that's something that you're really excited about right now, and it's become a bigger part of uh, your life and who you are and sort of what you're doing to give back and help others. Could you unpack that a bit? Like, what is it about it that, that really excites you and that um, makes it feel like, you know, this is something that you want to keep investing into? I think that people, you know, think of poetry and writing as a dead art. And I want to remind people that it's not. There's there's so much life in words and there's so much um, that can be done with words and so much healing that can be done with words. And if in any way, for instance, like my Instagram account, I have an Instagram account that's solely dedicated to my quotes and my writing. And to get messages from people and then be like, I was having a horrible day. This helped me. Like I needed to read this or I'm going through a really tough break. I wrote obviously a lot about love. And so when people like I was going through a really hard breakup or like, I didn't know anyone who felt this feeling of devastation or hurt or the process of healing that I needed to see. And I read it and it helped me like that is everything to me. It, 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 it moves me and I, my writing was, um, I made a friend in LA and her name's Ashton. She was my physiotherapist, but be- on that we became friends. And she actually asked me to be her officiant at her wedding because when her and her boyfriend at the time were going through a rough spot, she didn't know how to communicate to him how she felt. So she would send him my quotes and they were able mm-hmm. to rekindle their relationship. And so when you receive things like that, I'm like, wow, like, words really do matter. And I hope to continue to express that in every way, shape, and form. Yeah. I mean, it really is such a craft and such a, mm-hmm. uh, such an art. And I feel like, especially today now with most things being digital, again, because of Corona and people yeah. having to find more ways to, uh, interact, you know, that's not in person, writing becomes a huge part of that. Right. And so it's, it's almost a part of life that most people can't even ignore right now just because it's the way that we do things. 100% and I could not agree more. Yeah. One of the, so one of the other things that you mentioned was um, you got into media and you had a teacher who encouraged you to kind of go into that space. Mm-hmm. You studied radio and television uh, in university, I believe, right? Um, yep. What Was it the teacher that sort of drew you to the industry or was there something else about that space that drew you in um, and wanted you wanted to make you, you know, explore a bit further? I have to say, you know, I do, I do a lot of these and I am so happy and refreshed that these are like such different questions. So that a full, like 100% to you and your, and your skill in this. But um, yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize, well, I guess I always knew I've always had a love affair with television and radio. I'm 100% a kid who grew up watching a lot of TV. I am an only child. It's how I entertain myself. It's how my mom helped to entertain me when I was doing homework or piano or something. And so when my teacher kind of sparked in me, it became so natural because it was already a huge facet of my life. It was kind of like someone just 
it's like kind of someone being like a fast runner and then they go to school one day and their teacher's like, you should maybe do track. And then Mm. it works for them and they win gold medals. Like that was me finding media. It was always there within me, but I had to get someone to be like, maybe try this or maybe let's do this morning announcements. And then here I am a couple months later getting so excited every single morning to get in the booth (laughs) and tell everybody the boring things that happen in the day. But that had always been me. And so for someone to spark that in me was great because uh, it was lying dormant, but it was always there. Hmm. But eventually you sort of decided to go in a different direction. Um, what was it that, you know, so you were sort of drawn in and then you were not pushed out, but you decided to go in a different direction. Could you walk me through that decision and sort of what was going through your mind? So when I was in university, I had the opportunity to do three internships, one at the Canadian Olympic Committee in their media department, where I would update their websites and everything like that, write blogs, bios. And then I also did an internship at Global News, which is like a big uh, news station here, as well as Entertainment Tonight Canada. So I had a perspective of working in fun entertainment, serious news, and sports. And I loved all of them, but I realized the schedule and the rigorous time that it would take to do them would not be beneficial to my lifestyle because Hmm. also I would need someone to be with me at work. And so if I am only getting paid $20 an hour, but this person who's working with me gets paid $17 an hour. It's essentially like me working for $3 an hour. And I just couldn't see in the world where that would make sense. And Mm. I also wanted to be on air. And I knew that it was quite a few years of desk work before you really get that big break. And so I am a big pivoter in the sense that if something's not working for me, I need to find my own lane for it. And so when it wasn't working for me, I found podcasting and realized I could make my own schedule. I could choose my own guests. I could be my own boss. This seems like the best thing possible. So right. that's why Tea Time with Tay was started because I wanted to create an avenue for myself and be able to build and grow it as I need. Or if I one day just wanted to be like, hey, I'm done, I'm out. That's okay too. And that's why it's kind of been on a little bit of a hiatus because my other business has taken over my life, but I have the power yeah. to do so. Cause it's right. my podcast and I can do what I want with it, which is great. <laughs> yeah. I love that because podcasting really is, I mean, it's sort of the, the modern, um, you know, TV and, and radio, especially, awesome. right. But, yeah. uh, it's asynchronous. You can do it on your own time. Anyone can be a host, right? No one can tell you, no, you can't be a host exactly. Taylor because of X, Y, and Z and all the experience or you haven't, you know, put in the hours for the desk work. Um, but was podcasting, you know, were you listening to podcasts before you had started or what made you think like, oh, I can, I should start a podcast. I had just started getting into podcasts when I started my own. I think it was five years ago. So, I mean, obviously the space is evolving so much now. Uh, but back then I think it was just kind of like at the, at the peak of starting to get on everyone's radar. And I found a few podcasts that I really just like found entertaining and um, yeah, I just, I was like, oh, I feel like I could do that. And I feel like that'd be really fun. And I really wanted to buy like my own Yeti mic and have it like in the house, yeah. feel all professional. And I remember my, I, I was so excited about it because my ex at the time, was still like, he's still a great friend of mine. He was the one who bought me my first mic. And I was like, I feel like I'm ready. Like I'm ready for this. And 
it, it was, it's exciting. It's, I feel like it's such a cool space, like I said, because you can make your own way and you can have your own guests and really bring on people who you find inspiring not or exciting, not what the news station wants to mm. cover that day, you know, because you can see you can see the reporters who are covering a story because they have to as opposed to telling a story because they want to. Right, right. So how did you get people on the podcast? It's it's like an interview based podcast, right? Where you're mm-hmm. sort of bringing people on and you're chatting and doing something pretty similar to this, right? But uh, usually on, on different topics other than marketing. Um, but how'd you get people first, you know, to get on when it's a new podcast? And uh, I don't know if people knew you or not, or, mm-hmm. you know, did you start with people you were close with? Or did you go straight for, you know, kind of shooting for the stars and going for people who are a little bit outside of your personal network? I did a little bit of both. I, I think the first couple episodes were probably a friends of mine. Luckily for me, one of my friends is an actress and she uh, is a, like on a pretty famous show here in Canada called Heartland. And so that was like oh, a really wow. good boost. Yeah. So that was a good boost because I mean, she's my childhood friend. So I was like, Madison, you're coming on my podcast, whether you want yeah. to or not. You're at my house <laughs> once a week. So we're going to put a mic down and figure it out. And then um, I think just growing up, the way that I did, I, I've had a few cool people around me. Um, my lawyer's son, he, he started on YouTube and I interviewed him when he was like 10 because he was like this weird rising YouTube star and he was creating these videos of him doing covers. Now he has like 6 million followers is in all those teen magazines. It's like a teen no job. The next, what they call Sean Mendez from Canada. So I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And oh so I always feel like I'm like finding people when they're at the peak of like that next turn. And then sometimes I'm able to get them back on the podcast. So it's always kind of fun to see the journey of how they are. And I did shoot for the stars with some people and I missed a lot of the time, you know, you have a lot of people you reach out to. Um, but I think it's kind of just like grassroots. One person would tell someone else or when we're done, they would say, hey, like this was really fun. I might have someone if you want to, interview and I'm like yes please 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 Mm. send them my way and uh it was a combination of in-person and virtual podcasting even before corona yeah that's awesome uh how many episodes have you done and how many guests have you had on I think we've done about 40 there's 24 I think that are still listed but I think 40 had been done I kind of wanted I'm thinking of re- Furbishing, if I want to say the podcast and yeah. resurrecting it in 2021. Um, I haven't really, I don't really know how that's going to look yet, but I've had potential offers to do it in collaboration with a media company. So oh. um, yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not sure I'm going to take it because again, I like to do my own thing and I got a little worried when you have to be obligated to other people. Hmm. Um but I'm hoping, you know, with my other business to get it to a point where it runs itself, where I have a full-time staff and team, where then I can focus on podcasting more. Because I really do like to put my all into anything I'm doing. And if not, it doesn't feel like it's authentically me. Yeah, right, right, right. And how did you grow the listenership? Um, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about as mm-hmm. a podcaster and someone who knows sort of the game is it's pretty difficult to get people to stop what they're doing, uh, go, you know, find the podcast in whatever player that they're using subscribe, download, and then like find a time to go listen to it. You know, it's not something you just like scroll through and you're like, oh, let me just watch this for a second. It's I need to go walk the dog or, you know, commute to my job. And so it's a big commitment to get people. So how did you grow the listenership for Tea Time with Tay? 
I grew it by trying to just be authentic. I I wanted it to feel like you are in the room with us. And uh, I wanted it to feel conversational, like you could just be overhearing someone's conversation. And something that obviously is engaging, but something you can also have in the background, or you could be driving, or you could be walking your dog, or you can and still be entertained. I don't like anything that's too complicated. Just mm. keep it clean. Just keep it simple. Keep it fresh. Keep it authentic. And don't feel like you're listening to a lecture, especially. And it, it's not easy to do because, you know, as a job, as a host, you're there to ask questions. But I try to um, make the guests, especially if I don't know them, feel like we're friends and try to draw something out of them. And what you have done really, really well so far is also try to find questions that in your research that you know, might not have heard them answer. Because um, mm-hmm. especially when you interview people, it can get very monotonous. But um, I think the real players who are good in the space find a way to ask questions that have never been done. And a guy that I really love, he's not a podcast host, but he has a YouTube show called um, First We Feast or Hot Ones, where he interviews someone mm-hmm. while they right. eat hot wings. And yeah. he just always whips out questions I've never heard. So I really admire um, that and I think I've gotten a little bit of that feedback from people um, and I think that helped and also just getting people to genuinely try to share the podcast after they've been on and I've been lucky right. to have people with decent followings um, so that helped for sure yeah yeah definitely is there something that I mean you mentioned a few things that you've learned through the process just about obviously you know reaching out networking learning how to ask the right questions but is there anything else you feel like you've taken away from podcasting or that it's just taught you maybe personally, you know, not related to, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's not like a big kind of, you know, business or marketing takeaway, but just even personally. Um, in terms of the business side of things, if you're starting a podcast before you release your first podcast, record about five to 10. That way, the day that you release it um, and build a build up, like tell people about it before. I'm so sorry. My background is so loud. Um, tell people about it before it comes out. And so the day that it comes out, you can release 10. And when I tell you that the algorithm of it will shoot you to the top, because that's like 10 downloads every single time someone subscribes to you from day one. And that will make Apple or Spotify recognize it as a trending thing mm-hmm. because so many things are being downloaded at once. So that's kind of like a little bit of a hack um, if you're starting a podcast. And beyond that, I something that I've learned, I think, I think it's just, again, the continued art of learning how to storytell and really be engaging and uh, learning how to work on your feet, especially if you get a guest who might not give you a lot to work with. Um, I've been lucky to not have too much of that, but it's really difficult when it happens. And um, learning how to be a host and navigate through that is a really big growing experience. I think you can use in your everyday life. Yeah, definitely. And I appreciate yeah, that um, it's funny, you mentioned sort of the the strategy of having sort of a, a batch to launch with, because that's sort of what I'm doing. You're actually going to be in the launch batch. So congratulations. I'm in the batch. I'm in the batch. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So Very smart. good to know, good to know that I'm on in the right direction. I'll, I'll have to uh, shoot you a note on how that goes and, yes. um, and see how and uh, report back to you. Um, so if I'm getting my, my timeline right, uh, high school and then college studied um, 
television and radio. After that, again, figured that you didn't really want to do that. You started the Tea Time with Tay podcast. And then after that, you actually did a little bit of traveling and speaking. In it. And is that, was that sort of your forte um, or sort of your, your, your entry point into this whole world of motivational speaking? For sure. Uh, I, you know, when I was probably in high school, I had my first experience speaking. Uh, somebody had heard my story and they're like, can you please just talk to my kids in my classroom? They need to be motivated. And I was like, really? Like, you want to talk to me? Like, I'm, <laughs> are you sure? And I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like, do I put a PowerPoint up? And she's like, no, just come and speak. And I did it once. And I was so nervous, but so excited. And it went really well. From there, it was one person after another. So slowly over the years, I just kind of built a rapport. And I ended up in third year university, um, joining a speaking roster um, for an all women speaking roster. I had spoken with the woman for different events. She has this girl talk days where once a year they have these big conferences. And I did that for two or three years. And after the third year, she was like, you know what, I'm starting a roster of women speakers and I'd love to have you on it. So she was able to get me more gigs from there. Now with the coronavirus, it's been a bit different. But again, since having this opportunity, I was in a video motivational speaking thing this weekend and it was hosted by Tina Fey and Senator, um, Secretary Hillary Clinton was in it, Octavia Spencer, Simone Biles, like all these people. I'm like, why am I here? This is so crazy (laughs) for me. But uh, I've seen the power of, you know, just referral after referral. And I feel really lucky to do what I do. And now I get paid, which is also great because I I did, if you ever want to be a speaker, my God, you will do years of unpaid work. I think I did probably mm. five or six years of unpaid, but now I get paid and paid well. So uh, I'm hoping to do more of that and make more of a career out of it for all yeah, that, reasons. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I think that the the roster and the networking is is pretty fascinating. Like for, for someone who's not familiar, maybe like me with sort of the whole world of motivational speaking, um, you mentioned a couple of points, but like, what, what would you tell them to sort of get them up to speed with, um, how it works and sort of, you know, what makes you successful or not successful, what you need to do to make it as a, as a speaker. For me, I try to be honest at all points. So I think sometimes when you go into something, you, when you're told to be a motivational speaker, you think that you should only say positive things. What I always try to do is be like, here, like, look, I'm not perfect. I, I went, cause I always, I, at first I used to feel like a fraud when I would have a bad day and I'd show up and be like, always go in with a good spirit and then everything good would happen to you. And I finished my speech and I'm like, I literally cried before coming here. Why did I just lie to these people? Mm. This doesn't feel right. And I started to change that narrative for myself and be like, if I'm having a bad day or if I had a bad experience recently, don't be afraid to share that because these kids or these people, all they hear all day is people who give them one side of the story. And I like to give all sides so people have an understanding of what really makes me me. And I will be the first one to be honest where I'm like, hey guys, I'm here to motivate you today, but let's start with what this day started like, but here's why I'm still able to go on and still able to be here with you today because it's important. And that I think draws people in. And I always try to make people feel comfortable. I'm all about making people feel like they are right here with me in that experience. And um, 
the biggest thing I think I also do is not be afraid to answer questions. My Q and A's are very open and honest and I'm like, anything goes. I've heard every single question in the book at this point. So if you got a question about why my leg doesn't move, let's, let's talk about it. And uh, that always gets the crowd, especially the younger crowd um, more interested to engage. Yeah. It's a bit disarming, right? When you can sort of be honest and authentic and when people don't feel like they have to walk into eggshells or that they can exactly. you know, connect with you in a, on a deeper level as a, as a person mm-hmm. and not just as a, a speaker up on the stage, you know, who um, is all official or maybe that they feel like you're a little bit, um, a little bit distant from them. Right. Um, that's fascinating. Any other like takeaways or things that you've learned through the process of speaking and, uh, and traveling and go around to all these different places and speaking to all sorts of different people groups I have to imagine? I, I think the biggest thing is that people aren't as different as you think. There's so many people who, when I'm done speaking, will be like, I may not understand all of your story, but here's XYZ and ABC that I relate to. And I would look at them and from first glance, not even know that what they're going through. And it's just a constant, constant, constant reminder that you don't know what the heck somebody's going through in their day. So to just treat everyone with kindness and that happens to me over and over again. So it's been a really big reminder in my life and something that uh, I try to share as I learn it. Yeah. Okay. So starting cup of tea. Uh, I love sort of the origin story because it's one of my favorite um, like archetypes, you know, when you're like trying to get someone on board to do something with you and then they don't answer and they're like, whatever, dude, I'm going to start it my, myself. I'm going to make this happen for my, for myself. Um, and so that was basically the, the impetus, right. was from the podcast, uh, where you wanted to get them on as a sponsor and then you basically decided to sponsor yourself. Um, so first I'd love to know, like, where did the name come from? Um, cup of tea is, uh, it's sort of like, I would assume in line, you know, with the podcast and your overall brand, but could you walk me through sort of the story of how you came to, to name it? So cup of tea was, an, it was a long journey to get there. It originally, when I was thinking of names, I was like, I want, I knew that I wanted my branding to be luxury. So I knew that the name was extremely important. Mm. And in thinking about that, I was like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And originally the name was tea by day. And, uh, I thought I love alliter- uh, alliterations. I think that's a word. I think so. Yeah. Alliterations. And it was the closest thing I can kind of like, oh, I could put the X in the middle. That'd be so cool go to register the name and it is taken. I literally spent, I think two months working on on logos, everything. I paid someone to make a logo with it, go to register it. Wasn't there. So if anyone's ever starting a business, please register anything before you get all, um, all emotionally invested in it, which I did. I was devastated. I'm like, this is a sign. I shouldn't do it. But then I was like, no, I still am going to do it. So cup of tea derived from, obviously my name is Taylor. Tay is my nickname. But I knew that I also wanted to serve a North American market right from the beginning. T-E in French is tea. T-E in Spanish is tea. Spanish is the second language in America. French is the second language in Canada. And it's pronounced tay. So... When you, I and it. I always start my day with a cup of tea. So cup of tea kind of just rolled off the, the end of my mouth. 
And uh, that's why our slogan is don't forget to start your day with a cup of tea. It just kind of all worked out. I feel really, I I will be the first one to say that I like, I'm obsessed with our name. I think it's the, <laughs> the perfect fit for the brand and creating the logo is one of those logos. I also love branding where the more you look at something is the more you see. So when you first mm. see our logo, it looks like the logo, but if you look closely, the U is a mug, the E, the accent is a leaf. Um, and there's just always little things to look at. So yeah, it was a pretty fun branding trip. I love branding. It's my favorite part of my business by far. Yeah. I love that. I, I love how um, intentionally you are about the name. I'm, I'm sort of a, a, a naming connoisseur as well. And I like to put a lot of thought into it and as much as I can help it, I try not to do that. Like the first time I have an idea or something, but I remember the first time I had the idea for this podcast, it was, you know, immediately right down to the name because the name speaks a lot about the brands and what you're trying to achieve and, and what you want to communicate. And so it, if you can really sort of wrap it up in something that, um, that represents it well, right. Then it sort of sets you up to do everything else well and to, to follow up with everything else you wanted to do. Um, and so then walk me through, like, how did you, how did you launch, you know, like what were the first steps to actually getting the business up and off the ground? I knew absolutely nothing about business. Like when I, <laughs> nothing. if I had to take business in high school, I probably wouldn't have done very well. I, I knew nothing and I was very naive, um, made a lot of mistakes, my God. But when I was starting, I would, I sat down one night and I Googled and I went to Google. I'm like, how to start a online tea business. And the first thing it tells me is find a wholesaler. I'm like, how to find a wholesaler. <laughs> how to, and I literally type in how to legally sell tea online. All of these things, every single thing. And it took almost a year and a half to get ready. The biggest part for me was that some of our, like our boxes, um, our custom boxes, those are made overseas. And so learning how to navigate the overseas manufacturing market was hard. And what also comes with that is that they work in almost 12 hour different time zones. So I am up at 3 a.m., waiting for a meeting with someone who was awake at 3 p.m. Right. And that that process was so tenuous because this happened for months and over weeks and months. And it was very, very, very difficult. My mom, I don't think anyone, I kept it pretty quiet. So I don't think a lot of people knew what I was doing. They hmm. knew that I was starting something, but I don't think everyone fully felt at the time that I was going to come to fruition until stuff started showing up at my door. And my mom's like, what is the package from this like place doing here? And, and I had to explain to people like, I'm really doing this. Like, was this really going to happen? And when everything kind of started coming together, it became more and more real. And here we are today. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm also a big Googler. And again, I think it just goes to show sort of your, your resourcefulness. And so I applaud it. I think that's awesome. Um, I did read. Business, you don't. Yep. Right. And it, it, it really is a skill. Just like we talked about writing, Googling today is, is a huge skill. Um, I, I had read uh, uh, in one of the interviews you did, I, I can't remember the source now, but um, there was a sort of a period you said, 
uh, hold your head up high through the really quiet periods. When you start, you have days where you get no orders. Uh, you said, I remember there was a time when I think you went 17 straight days without an order and I was panicking. Could you walk me through a little bit more about, you know, I don't know, the ups and downs and like getting it off the ground, launching, because uh, e-commerce is not hard, right? And that's really where marketing comes into play here. But what was going through your mind in those 17 days where you had that little drought? Oh, I mean, I again, I, I do remember saying that. Don't remember where. So kudos to you for finding that. I, uh, it was, it happened more than once. Let me tell you, mm. it definitely happened more than once. It makes you feel like you're doing something wrong. And it makes you feel like, this was a mistake. But in the back of my head, I'm like, but it's so good. I swear <laughs> it's so good. Like if you could just get it into your household, please, someone, if you just buy it one time, I know I can keep you as a customer forever. So please just take a chance mm. on me. And so when that 17 day drought goes, happens, and then that 18th day comes and someone gets an order or you get an email back from someone who says, hey, like, just thought, you know, I, like, I just finished, I'm about to go buy another one, like, love your stuff. I'm like, okay, okay, it's going to be okay. I also think I am lucky in the sense where I wasn't 100% reliant. Like I said, I have my other motivational things. So I wasn't 100% reliant on the mm. money aspect of it. So that definitely helps. Um, but I also think the downside of that is you can get very, uh, despondent because if you're not driven by money necessarily you become lackadaisical and I think I definitely had a few days like that or maybe periods of weeks um, but the, sometimes if you are desperate to get it to work that hunger can really drive you luckily for me I still have that hunger regardless because I'm really stubborn um, but it was, you know it, it wasn't easy I never try to make people think that, that it just came and it happened overnight because it didn't it's months and months and months of work. It's crying, breakdowns, uh, not feeling like you're good enough, feeling like a like an imposter. I had I have mm -hmm. still to this day, even with everything that's happened, I have massive imposter syndrome um, that I am constantly working through. So, yeah, you know, it's not for the faint of heart, but it can no. be very, very fun. Um, and I'm, I'm in the space of having fun right now. So I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. What um, what do you feel like made the difference to uh, like becoming successful, quote unquote, or basically, you know, having a more sustainable sort of uh, sales, right? Or, or finding sort of the things that were working for you. Was it just doing the same thing for a long time, basically kind of like waiting for that payoff or were there certain new things that, you know, gave you breakthroughs or things that you learned that made a big difference through the process? Consistency is key. And regardless if I was getting a sale, I will still consistently post every single day on all of our social channels. Um, also, not compromising on quality. Mm. One of the things that I found is that my teas are at a slightly higher price point than some of our biggest competitors here, um, especially in Canada. And at the time, I'm like, people aren't buying because of the price. But I also know that our product is 100% organic. Our product doesn't have fillers in it. And our packaging could withstand and outwit a lot of other competitors. And so at times when someone might tell me, hey, just drop, your, drop it by like a dollar or two and you'll just sell like wildfire. I'm like, 
but there's also a market. I know there's a market for mm. this, right? There's a market for people who are looking for that aesthetic that might give you an extra $2. And I refuse to waver on it. And something else I refuse to waver on is uh, our photography, I will say probably helped a lot because it's your first time you're ever seeing something. And I was, I spent so much money making sure that our photography was up to par. And that's why I feel like our social media does so well um, and why people take a chance on the brand because I feel like we are bringing something different to a really old business and uh, eventually it kind of worked out for us. So yeah, yeah. the photography bit is, is interesting. Was that something that you um, you felt really strongly from the beginning, like just kind of like intuitively, or did you pick up that, um, oh, like if you're, if we're going to have a successful online store, we need to have really good photography. And so it was maybe one of the things you picked up over time. I knew right away that it was important because mm. I'm a massive consumer myself. I shop online all the time mm. and I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And I know the kind of shopping experience I, I enjoy. I love more than anything hearing about a product, going to their Instagram, seeing how beautiful they've spent the time to craft this narrative on their Instagram. And from there, I'm, you pretty much have hooked me. I'm going to your website. I am buying something and I will likely come back. And I wanted it to feel like that for everyone when they came to Cup of Tea. I want it to be almost so difficult for you to walk away without at least purchasing something. And that requires, um, I feel like a creative eye. So if you don't have it, making sure you outsource it and collaborate. For me, I'm not the photographer. However, I'm the one giving the photographer a mood board. I'm the one mm. asking for their feedback and working with them to make it right. And I've gone through different photographers. I have multiple I work with to get it, keep everything fresh and fun. Um, but building those relationships and as we grow, they understand more my vision. And uh, that also couples in with the branding of our products. You know, I wanted to, I wanted it to be products that you could leave on your kitchen table and not want to put it away. Like when you have a cup of Tetley, you're going to put the, the box away. And don't get me wrong, I still drink it. I still have it in my house. But where is it? In the cupboard, because you're not going to. Yeah leave it out. I want our products. If you leave it out and you accidentally have a guest come over, you're not rushing to put it away because mm. it'll fit in your home and look good. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. One of the things I also found interesting was uh, choosing to give back, I believe it's a dollar for each sale. Is that still something that you do? It's a dollar for each. So right now we have a dollar from each of our starter kits as well as a dollar uh -huh. for the Oprah kits. And that was imperative to me because when I had my accident, I was surrounded by community of people who, strangers, friends, family, who just came and rallied around me, donated money, um, everything. So when I started my business, I knew there had to be some kind of charitable component attached to it. And everyone, you know, the easy choice for me would have been spinal cord injury awareness because I have a spinal cord injury. It's what my life is. But I also knew that the bigger, the bigger journey for me was my mental health. And mm. especially in the black community, it's not something we talk about as often, or it's more stigmatized. And so 
when you couple that with having a tea company and tea being something that feels like home and tea being something you can have great conversations over when wanting to spark greater conversations, mental health awareness just seemed like the better choice for right now. That's not to say that later on in life, I might have a foundation specifically for spinal cord injury, but at right now, when it affects one in four people that have or know someone who has a mental health issue or crisis, um, I wanted to connect and really relate to as many people as possible. Mm, yeah, I, I think that was a great decision and uh, I'm, I'm glad you could elaborate on that. Um, one of the other things is, you know, 2020 sort of in a similar vein here has been quite the year for everyone. Um, yeah. How did the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement and all the other things that have gone on this year affect Cup of Tea? It, you know what? I, it's so hard to say it, but again, I like to be honest, it actually had a very positive turn for my business because mm. um, I almost stopped my business in January because of that entrepreneurial journey of being exhausted and not believing in yourself and not that you're good enough. Uh, but when the pandemic hit, I was like, okay, I can really get out because no one will say anything. I'll say, right. you know, this went down in the the great coronavirus pandemic and <laughs> there's nothing I could do. We were doing so well before. Um, but what I started to see happen is people wanting to find their everyday luxuries at home, people wanting things delivered to their home. And that's us, we're e-commerce. And when you couple that with Black Lives Matter and people wanting to shop black, I'm black, I'm e-commerce, I'm small business, for Canada and people here, I'm local. And it was just, it just kind of blew up because it was wow. one person after one person being like, hey, if you want to shop local or shop shop black owned, here's a tea company and we pop up. And it was just kind of a grassroots share after share after share that uh, created more of an exposure for us. And we've been extremely busy ever since. That's awesome. Great problems to have, right? Again, it's, uh, it, it, it's Great, a blessing. We were, we were working downstairs a couple of minutes ago and I was like, guys, I'm so tired. Like, uh, <laughs> so and there's like so many orders we have to do, especially before Christmas. And my friend's like, Taylor, it's a good problem to have. Stop it. And I'm like, no, yeah. let me not complain. <laughs> I am tired, but let me not complain. Um, yeah, it's been pretty, it's been pretty good. Yeah. So getting listed and sort of getting mentioned, um, online like was that something that uh you cultivated a little bit and i don't know had someone reach out or you reached out to uh different reporters or different people talking about um you know whatever it was if it was shop local or, or shop black or was that something that just kind of organically happened it was a mixture of both um there was one specific instagram i remember called black owned to uh which is stands for toronto um they had like 300 followers and i remember reaching out to them like hey like if you ever want to they were posting people for free it's like if you guys want to ever post me like that I'd love to this is my business whatever and they I reached out on think on the Sunday she said on the Monday she's like yeah I'll post you on the Tuesday her Instagram went from 300 followers to 40,000 oh wow by the Thursday she had hit 60 Thursday night she was on our local news and that night right an hour before she posted my thing, which I had reached out on Sunday back when she had three followers. 
she posted it an hour before the TV thing went live. So when the TV thing went live, we were the last post that was posted. And it, I remember being outside with a friend, social distancing, and my phone would not stop going off. And so when she had exposure, because we were the last one who was posted, it went nuts. And my sales just went wow. crazy. And I was like, oh, and she messaged me. And she's like, what is happening? I'm like, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> and that led to so many different outlets, um, reports, people just sharing. Like, I think she had like 500,000 impressions in like two days. It was massive. Um, and I think, I, I mean, you can't always attribute where everything comes from, but I know a lot came from that single person. And you have right. to imagine a couple of those kind of exposures happening in a very short few months, um, which, yeah, like I said, has kept us very, very busy. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. What I mean, how I discovered you was in Twitter trending where I yeah. saw, um, I actually, I really liked Twitter trend. Like some people, you know, install the Chrome plugins that, you know, remove all that or whatever, but I actually really like it. And I get a lot of news and kind of fun stories from it. And so I saw the story about you in the Toronto star and I was just blown away. Um, was that something that, that came from that initial sort of, uh, boost from the TV and from being featured on Instagram, or was that something else that happened? So the very false Chrome moment about that is that reporter back when I had my accident, he did my first story oh, uh, wow. 12 years ago. And that story was on the front page of the Toronto Star, the same article, uh, the same newspaper. It was a front page and it talked about the devastation of a Canadian national gymnast who is now lying in a ho- I was literally still in the hospital bed with like um, this thing called a halo that secures your head to keep your neck straight, mm. like Right. bad it's if you google my name it shows up and it's horrible um that was the front page of the start so it was kind of this full circle like here's what she's doing 12 years later 12 years later she's a businesswoman she made oprah's favorite things list here's her business support and when again i didn't think anything of it and he told me he might as long as there was no major political news or it was around the election time i think yeah. nothing major was happening it would be the front cover and the online version of it went up on the Sunday on the Monday I think it started trending and it trended for three in Canada it trended for three days number one which they I got reached out by like um like different media channels and like we've never seen an article trend number one that wasn't related to coronavirus or politics for three days Hmm. period and so it trended here and I know it made its way to America, obviously. And I know it actually, I think trended in UK as well. So that was like something nobody expected. Um, obviously the title is very catching, but I guess it was just a very unique story at the time because of everything's been Corona, everything's been sadness, negativity, Black Lives Matter, like sad, 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 2020, 20. Yep. And then there was like uh, what I've heard from people, like a story of hope. And I think people really gravitated and needed that. And I think that's why it did so well. Yeah, it was huge. I, I remember seeing it for at least a couple of days as well. And I was just blown away by the response. And, you know, I was really happy for you. And especially just felt like, uh, you know, it was, it was cool seeing that also be 
a part of the success given everything that's happened this year and, and, and historically as well. Um, so we've, we've alluded to it a few times now, but uh, one of the things I have to ask you about, obviously, <laughs> is being on Oprah's favorite things list. Um, how did that happen? I don't know. I still have to think, oh, I, I actually do. I mean, they what they typically do is when they look for new companies um, for the list, they start in like, I think early March or earlier. And obviously some Oprah tells some of her things that she's had over the year, but she has a team that scours the world and internet for things. And they typically go to trade shows. So they will go to trade shows. They'll be in the back. They'll be walking around. They may come up to your booth and talk to you and you won't even know who it is um, until you get an email from them. Be like, hey, we saw you earlier today. But then Corona, there are no trade right. shows. There's nothing happening. So they had to scour the internet. And also with this being her last printed issue and it also being a year where she really wanted to promote Black business, mm. it, they found me. Oprah has a big lever of tea. So she typically every single year has a tea company. She's used the same company for a couple of years, but this year she's like, nope, I want something fresh and new. And mm. they found me and they reached out via email. Very simple, like, hey, we're from O Magazine. We found you. We like what we see. Can you send us one of everything? So you could potentially be in the December issue. And the story goes, as most people know now, is I deleted it. I deleted the email. <laughs> um, they reached out to me on July 15, 2020, which is the 12-year anniversary of my accident. Oh, I wow. thought it was the universe playing a joke on me. Um, didn't believe it. I got spam and weird emails all the time. We all do, right? Like, oh, you won a million dollars. Like, great. No, I didn't. <laughs> and so I thought that was it. And it wouldn't leave with me. It wouldn't, like, I couldn't shake it because... Oprah has always been a massive facet of my life, period. She's one of the reasons why I love media so much. When I went to school, every single professor knows, I said, I'm like, I want to be the next Oprah. I want to be the next Ellen. I want to be the next Oprah. I want to be the next Ellen. I want to be the next Maya Angelou. So it's like one of those things that was so, so beat into my life that it just seems so unbelievable. And when I actually called the number after taking it out of the trash, ended up being real. We sent product to their team, weeks and weeks of rounds and testing until I was literally at the post office with a package being shipped to Oprah's home. And I kissed it. I was like, please. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, even if she doesn't pick me, the fact that she has this in her home right now, mm. life made. If she makes yeah. one cup of tea with it or enjoys it with Stedman, I could live with that. Um, and then, you know, I get an email being like, she loved it. These are the ones she loved. This is what her set wants to look like. Congratulations. And um, nothing has ever been the same. <laughs> I can only imagine. The Oprah effect is very real and very far reaching. It's, uh, it's, I never, I knew it would be big. Never could have predicted this though. It's wow. been a imperative to just making me feel like our business that I was doing something right. Hmm. Right. I mean, because uh, through the course of not even a year, you went from 
considering shutting it down to being on Oprah's favorite things, which is like, maybe the greatest turnaround of all time. <laughs> seriously, like ready to pack it in. Like I was over it and so down on myself and so negative and just like, my mom's like, you know what, Taylor, like just stick it out for three more months. Just do three more months. And if it's not cool, we'll, we'll wrap. And I remember thinking like, I can wrap. I'm going to go on a vacation. I'm going to just live my life. And, you know, but we stuck it out and it, it's a pretty, I'm pretty glad I did. I could yeah. but I never could have imagined that this would happen, obviously, mm. but um, I'm very happy that it did. And I feel very lucky and blessed because I know that I'm one of, you know, 50 businesses in the world, which is so crazy. Yeah, that is nuts. Well, what, what's actually entailed in being one of her favorite things? You, you had mentioned sort of like, uh, like a sort of product line, um, you get listed within the magazine. Um, what else is included in that? Like, are, uh, is there some sort of special, you know, call to action? Uh, do you get listed other places? Like, what does it mean to be listed as one of Oprah's favorite things? Um, well, ongoing, it means that I could forever use that and say that, which is You're great. Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you want to work with me? Hi, great, because we're Oprah's favorites. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's always great for business. Uh, in terms of what it entails, so we are in the magazine. We are on her website. Um, she also does a collaboration with Amazon for, so for one month on amazon.com, um, we are on the front page. So that obviously is a very, very, very uh, valuable marketing tool. Amazon is Amazon. I buy from Amazon probably twice a day. It's so bad. Um, so we had to ship a bunch of our sets to Oprah, uh, to Amazon for fulfillment, um, so that was new to me because I have never done anything like that and mm. um, made, a lot, made a lot of mistakes sending stuff to Amazon because it's very particular when you're doing um, Amazon mm. Prime America and shipping food products across the States is not easy when you do it in bulk. But, you know, oh, right. you learned very quickly. And um, also, so it comes with the Amazon. It comes with that. And then from there, it's just like every single year, Every single publication, CNN, um, People Magazine, they wait for this and mm. they always cover it. And so I knew as soon as it was going to go live that like every single outlet was going to post about it. And yeah, we made it on CNN, the Food Network, uh, Good Eats, uh, Healthy Living, like all of these places. It's in news outlets and podcasters and just it's. It's insane. Like Oprah, I know that there's the Kylie Jenner's of the world and the Beyonce's of the world and all these great influencers, but I really feel like there's no greater influencer than Oprah because mm. she's the one person who can transcend close to maybe Ellen because Ellen's had a really bad year. But besides Ellen and Oprah, I can't think of another person who transcends so many different age ranges your grandma loves oprah your right. i'm 20s in my 20s you know i love oprah um black people white people men and women and we trust her it's not beyond like we trust her so if she says she likes something that's a pretty good indication that you're probably it's probably good because yeah 
she's just that person, the ultimate influencer. So to have her stamp of that's a really long answer. I'm sorry, but to, uh, she's, oh no, no, she's just imperative, and I'm really, really, really lucky. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, really, her her reach is. Uh, I mean, it, it's very far reaching. She has, um, like I said, I hadn't really thought about that, but she has global influence. She has connections up at the top with Amazon. She has, yeah, all sorts of media. And like, like when I think about all the people who love Oprah, like Obama is hanging out with Oprah. She hangs out with presidents and celebrities and everyday people. Like she just does it all. I wonder what it's like to be Oprah. <laughs> right i know it, it is crazy yeah. yeah and and so the magazine went live was it in november or was it just uh or was it even before that so the announcement it was kind of crazy because the announcement was on november 6th but okay. november 6th they still hadn't picked a president and so right it went live on amazon on november 6th but they messaged us november 5th to be like because of the election, we don't feel comfortable doing our big push for everything because it's, mm. it's not a good look, right? When you're in the middle of a political yeah. major shift and you're like, oh, by the way, like e-commerce, like it's not a good look. But because they had to deal with Amazon, it still went live. So we still had sales, but it was obviously a very difficult thing because me, especially being Canadian, right? Like I'm a little bit more far removed. I'm like, oh man, I have so many things planned for the six. Yeah. I still was able to talk about it. But when that push came on the Monday is like when everything happened and then mm. the magazine was released on November 17th. Um, yeah, and so it's out. So if you are able to get one, if whoever is listening can get one, just know that it's the last printed issue. So I know for us, it's very difficult. We've gone multiple stores um, to get, I have like, I have like six now, but- mm, uh, Keep those forever. I know, oh, I'm gonna frame it. I'm gonna put it in an office. Like I'm excited. And um, yeah. yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And then right after that was Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Um, did you even, I mean, did you manage to do something for that or was it basically just trying to keep up with everything Oprah related? I usually try to get all fancy with it and like certain items and like, oh, this and that. but I truthfully have not had enough time. Like I have not released after Black Friday. I usually release like two emails a week for our customers. I literally can't because we cannot upkeep the order. It's like, we just cannot fulfill them in time. And you have to also think like we're in the middle of our second lockdown here in Toronto. So I can't, if I had 30 million people to help me, or can come in and help, I would do it and we get it done. But I am dealing with, which is a great, again, a great problem to have. I don't want to sound like a complainer, but I'm right. dealing with having so the Oprah effect happening in the middle of a virus. I physically cannot pack a box myself. Mm, yep. So I am kind of helpless to the help around me. And we can't have more than like three people because. Yeah have limitations and just my own health and safety. I don't want to get sick. And mm -hmm. so I'm dealing with people wanting their orders really quickly. And in a normal year, you would be backlogged because of the Oprah effect, but we're doing, I always tell my customers, I'm like, I am doing the very best we can considering the state of the world. And they've been really, really um, accommodating. So 
most most people. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be some people, but uh, as long as you're communicating ahead of time and you're keeping people in the loop and you're yeah. uh, giving them, like like you just explained, where hey, people were in the middle of a pandemic and another lockdown and elections and, and Christmas, everything. right? It's just Christmas. and Oprah. Q4 <laughs> is already held for um, businesses. It's right. crazy, especially as soon as Black Friday hits. It's like good luck until Christmas. And so having that and Oprah happening at the same time and not as much help as we would need. Like I would realistically want a team of like 20 hmm. to be consistent. Um, and we can only work with three. So <laughs> my very short staffed. Very, yes. Many I in the midst of all of this, I've had many mental breakdowns and uh but again i know how lucky i am so i try not to even complain as much as i can because like when is this ever gonna happen again Mm -hmm. right like it's never happening i reached out to someone else on the list and i was like hey like you you doing okay over there and she's like super grateful but i feel like i'm gonna die but i'm like okay get to know i'm not alone it made me feel a little bit more comfortable like all right, I'm not the only one uh, panicking, but yeah. uh, you just want to make people happy. That's all you want to do. Yeah, that, that's great. Do you, do you expect, um, again, I mean, it's not not everyone gets to be on Oprah's favorite list and only as sort of a handful of people uh, and businesses have in the past. Does Do you expect for this to just continue for like the foreseeable future or do you um, do things normally kind of like calm down after a while? And obviously there's, you know, a lasting halo effect to some degree, but uh, do you think that this is going to last a long time, right? Are you kind of like hunkering down like, okay, this is the new, the new normal now for a cup of tea, or are you expecting things to maybe calm down a little bit? I was just having this conversation today with my team where it's kind of like, it, it, I, there's so many unknowns. I don't know. We're so busy because it's Christmas too. Like we were busy last Christmas because um, mm. people just want gifts, right? And I'm a little, I will admit, I'm nervous. Like, I don't know what to expect. And if this continues, there is 18 different ways I can expand and buy a facility. Like, I'm I'm bordering right now considering buying a facility. Like, actually mm. buying something. Not leasing, not renting, not anything. Buying. But then I'm like, what if it slows down? And right. It's so that's the thing that's so scary about when you're at that kind of like tipping point of growth, because in order to grow, you need to invest. But if that investment isn't backed up with consistent growth, then you can go under. And that's kind of like the pivotal point so many small businesses find themselves when and so many go under because you expand too quickly and then you screw yourself over. Hmm. And I don't want that to happen. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm hoping so. We have some contracts that have been signed, almost signed with a few major um, companies. And if those go through, I can expand, no problem. Um, so I'm, I'm very hopeful because again, one, at least one of them is already pretty much waiting for the ink to dry. Um, and that should be able to at least cover a little bit of our expansion. So. It's exciting. It's yeah. Exciting. We'll all be following along. Um, I, I know that things are going well now. 
Uh, and of course, if you were if you were, if you were to go back, you probably wouldn't want to really change anything. But just you know, since hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah, looking back and wondering like um, for yourself or for someone else looking to start their first e-commerce business, for example, um, what advice would you have for them or for your younger self uh, going back a year or two? <laughs> It's going to sound so contradictory to everything I just said. Um, <laughs> don't go. My advice would to myself, not to anyone else. But if you are brand new into business, never mind e-commerce, be a little bit careful when you go into the food business. When mm. you deal with food, right? You deal with, luckily, I deal with tea. Um, tea is a very long shelf life. But beyond that, when you deal with tea, you have laws, regulations, rules, shipping restrictions, all these things that you have to take into account. Also, when you design and work with packaging, try to make your packaging as male-friendly as possible. Make sure that if you are not one, especially if you're, I mean, I'm in Canada, right? So if I ship something that's a little bit heavy to the U.S., I am digging into my, you know, reserve like because i can't charge right. someone the full price of shipping because no one will ever buy you're not going to mm. pay for an item that's already a little bit more expensive and then pay 20 dollars shipping on top right so i bite the bullet on a lot of the shipping costs in america and i'm hoping to be able to have um a distribution center in the u.s by next year which will bring down those costs but something to keep in mind and additionally if i i I say that I'm not crazy enough to start another business, but if I do, like I said, it'd be something that isn't food because it's mm. um, it's a lot of work. And um, but besides that, just like I said previously, ride out the ways because you're going to doubt yourself at every single corner. But know that if you have a really clear vision for the brand, stick to it. Don't let others listen to advice, but also follow your gut. For me, the reason why I'm in a wheelchair today is because I didn't follow my gut and I listened to someone else. And so in everything I do, if I have a very strong intuition feel towards it, even if I don't know how to get there today, I don't let, I try not to let the outside world tell me like, oh, it's going to be a lot of work or it's going to be really hard. You might not break even for five years. Like when you hear those things, which are very true, um, it, it's very deterrent, but um, I'm lucky that I stuck it out. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what's next for Cup of Tea? And do you want to? Um, I mean, obviously, you have some things you need to figure out, right, with distribution yeah. and with growth and just keeping up with everything. Um, but do you want to uh, expand into new product lines? Do you want to take on investment and grow more? Are you looking to, you know, change things up or just continue on the same path you are now? I want to continue to grow. I am expanding the product. Like next year we'll have like cold brewing like systems and bottles. And I'm thinking that, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna say it here first. I'm thinking that my long-term goal is to make cup of tea like a William Sonoma. Cup of tea like a, uh, I don't think of an American equivalent. Um, I want it to be like a home's good brand. I mm. want it to be the overarching brand and we have different sectors. So we have kitchen appliances, we have home decor. Cause I think again, my 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 forte lies in design and aesthetic. 
And I think if I can create an overarching family brand and branch off into many different sectors, that'd be something really cool. Um, but yeah, beyond that, just continue to do public speaking, be able to share my story more. And I already have so many like um, events lined up next year that I'm excited about. It's great. And I'll be speaking in and uh, one day release a book. Um, I previously had a book contract with a major company, but when Papote kind of took over my life, I expressed to them that like, I can't do both because mm. if I'm not able to put my all into it, it's not going to be my best quality. And I think, and also told them that they wanted me to do a memoir at the time. And I'm like, I feel like my story isn't done. I feel like I wouldn't yeah. know how to end this book right now because I was just starting my business. And I'm like, I don't even know if this is going to be successful. So I don't want to write in this book. And then I'm starting a business. And then when someone goes to check up on me, they're like, where is it? And right. I feel like I'm approaching a part a time in my life where I could write something and say, and then we made like Oprah's favorite things, but there's still, mm. I feel like more to come. And so hopefully in the next few years, be able to wrap that story up in this chapter of my life. And then, you know, a couple decades after that, write another book. I love it. I think that's great timing and uh, couldn't agree more. I think that's, uh, that's an awesome move. And I will look forward to the memoir later on, <laughs> but uh, we'll let the story continue and uh, there'll be, um, lots more to talk about, right? Uh, before we wrap up, I'd love to take a peek at your sort of personal swipe file. It's kind of a fun segment I like to do. Just talk about a couple of, you know, notable marketing examples or campaigns that you've seen out there. Um, could you walk me through a few that are, um, you know, top of mind for you that you've kind of uh, collected or remembered over the years? Marketing like different brands? Yeah. Just like, I don't know, a certain campaign or maybe certain companies that you look, you look, um, up to, uh, could even be something in particular where like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take that and use that for a cup of tea or, uh, mm -hmm. for the podcast or for whatever else that you're doing. Great question. Um, there's so many brands that I feel like I am inspired by in terms of branding. I, oh God, I wouldn't even know where to start for instance i really love what Ar under armor has done i think that they have gone from a brand that used to feel very very masculine but still very like chic and up um and in their design but they've really found a way to bridge that gap to females as well and beyond that like i think they were one of the first companies to come up with activewear that also is good for people who are religious and have headgear, um, headwear and stuff like that. So I thought right. that was really great um, to see. And then beyond that, when you think about celebrity brands, I think that what Beyonce has done with Ivy Park and in collaboration with Adidas was a very, very smart logistical move. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes when a celebrity comes out with something, you might not always be trusting of what the quality is, but because she strategically did it with with someone like Adidas, I think it was just a really great marketing campaign. Um, and the way they've gone about sending like these really great boxes to some of their celebrity friends, as well as um, as well as like some of her just like major fans, it's really great to see those unboxing experiences. Um, and beyond that, I think like I've always been just a fan of luxury in general so companies like chanel just have been so mm. classic and consistent for years and it's simple it's white it's black um the logo everything about it but it, it creates this air of like 
accessibility in the sense that like it's not a Hermes where you can't not buy it but there still is a little bit of a barrier to entry but once you are able to pass that threshold it's a really great shopping experience coming from a girl who only has one um so I don't want people to think that I'm like I'm like like a collector like no I have one but that whole experience like I remember working really hard and buying that for the first time and it being something that had always been a goal on my list of things Mm. to do and um yeah I'm trying to think of other brands those are those are awesome I, I love those and indigo 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 i don't know if you guys have books indigo books in america they're kind yeah. of like barnes and nobles mm-hmm. yeah and they have made the shift now to have also lifestyle stuff so like oh, um, interesting. and P- i just bought pjs from them so when i ever see a brand start to shift their narrative mm-hmm. i really like that and expand that's why i want to expand with mine too that kind of gave me the kick yeah, those, those are great points of inspiration. I mean, if you could model after those companies, I think they're doing mm-hmm. a great job. And especially, like you said, seeing what they're doing through coronavirus and just evolving and uh, and also partnering up with uh, the right people. Um, that's great. So my last question is what I call my guy rise question. I don't know if you're a listener of uh, how I built this podcast, but um, he sort of asked the same, same question at the end. And I like to steal it a little bit. Um, but for all the things that you've shared, I mean, the audience that you've grown, uh, the success that you've had, you mean, of course, being on Oprah's favorite things. Um, how much would you attribute to luck and happenstance versus your own hard work and sort of making it happen? 70, 30, 70, 30 hard work, uh, 70 hard work, 30 luck. Um, mm-hmm. I know for a fact that the time I spent on our branding is what paid off for me in the end. I know a lot of people will also know, and I am not naive to the fact that obviously my story coupled with my brand is likely the reason we ended up on the list. But from the feedback I've gotten from her her people um, and what I've heard that she has said is that even with a good story, if the product and branding wasn't up to what she felt like was her standards, because I mean, Oprah's a billionaire, right? She doesn't, she's seen right. it all. And she said that, I heard that she said that I felt new and fresh and that wouldn't have come without a lot of hard work from me previous to her Midas touch affecting my business. Um, so yeah, 70, 30, but again, I I get it. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's an awesome perspective though. And (laughs) I completely agree. Um, Taylor, it's been a joy talking and appreciate you you sharing everything. Uh, it really honestly was very, very insightful. So I appreciate you sharing everything today. Well, I appreciate you, you having me on and reaching out and I'm glad we were able to make this happen. And I'm so excited to like circle back maybe next year and have you on Tea Time with Tay and we can talk about all things you and how your podcast is going. Let's do it. That'd be awesome. I appreciate it. I'm honored. 2021. Got it. <laughs> Thanks again to Taylor for spending time with me. It was an absolute pleasure and really appreciate her taking the time. If you can, please pop on Twitter and thank Taylor for being so vulnerable and sharing all of her wisdom with us in this episode. Here are my big takeaways from our conversation. One, there was a few serendipitous moments for Taylor because she showed up and did the work. 
she went and spoke to the classroom. She reached out to the Instagram account that ended up blowing up and leading to more press. Um, and it really shows, right, that you put in the work and then good things happen to you. Number two, Taylor mentioned how her story and injury obviously plays a part in her getting featured. But at the end of the day, if her product and brand wasn't good, Oprah wouldn't have picked it, right? Product quality is still the crux. And thirdly, it's also remarkable just how resourceful Taylor is. I mean, she learned everything on her own and manages to just make it happen. There are no excuses for not getting started. Just get out there and get moving. If you've got a question or takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com slash membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.